As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, worst noble ending since Tale of Two Cities in West Ham Man United. Across town, Spurs confirmed their commitment to net zero in 3-0 Chelsea Triumph. And in Manchester, unexpected turn in Pep's row with City fans. This time, it's his own players that don't turn up for the game. See how they like that. With Lionesses, the League Cup and Oldham living out the Kenny Rogers song, it's another busy Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, so nice to be with you again. It's Monday, the 20th of September, as we record this with Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hello, Flo. Hello, James. All right, Matt Davis-Adams is with us here. Hello, James. And the, um, well, significantly underarmed surname-wise, Daniel Story. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, James. Good morning to you. Good morning. Have you just finished your, your, your 20 big conclusions for the Premier League weekend, Daniel? Yes, what was your favourite one? Uh, I think the the over, my overriding theme of the weekend was probably just how important it might be team big teams title challenges dropping points against the the rest as Manchester City did. Um, to, this season more than any other, it feels like some of those non elite teams are just going to get brushed aside by the title challenges, and therefore you you end up playing a little bit of catch up, which I think City are now. Hmm. Well, you can get 19 more of Daniel's points at the eye right now. Matt, what was your big takeaway from the weekend? Um, not a particularly glamorous one, but I felt like Watford winning at Norwich might have been the most significant result in a lot of ways because it looks like Watford have got some goals, which will be pretty key for them. But from, from Norwich's perspective, you know, if they're not going to win this game, never mind not even drawing it, when are they going to win a game? It's getting pretty difficult even after five matches to make a case for, for anything but another relegation straight away for them. Although they are the fifth team to lose their first five Premier League matches of the season and two of the previous four did stay up. Flo? Mine would have to be Arsenal toughening up. Um, I don't think 
they're looking great still but I think going to Burnley a place that they have struggled in the past a team that they've struggled against in the past and holding on to a really important 1-0 win is is a sign of growth um there's still a lot more to come and there's a lot more that those those group of players can do but I think it's heading in the right direction potentially Brilliant. And Burnley Arsenal is where we start this week. No, just kidding. Uh, we'll get to that later <laughs> on. Uh, but let's get the results anyway uh, from the weekend. Friday uh, saw an entertaining 1-1 uh, draw between Newcastle and Leeds. Saturday, Watford, as Matt mentioned, 3-1 winners at Norwich, who've now made it 15 Premier League defeats in a row, if you take it back to their previous appearance in the top flight. At not-so-tricky Turf Moor, Arsenal getting their second straight 1-0 win. Meanwhile, Brentford got their first ever away win in the Premier League, 2-0 at Wolves. Liverpool beat Palace 3-0. That's their ninth straight win over the Eagles, while Saints held City to that goalless draw. Tea time on Saturday, a 3-0 victory for Aston Villa, ending Everton's excellent start. On Sunday, Brighton beat Leicester in a slightly controversial 2-1 victory. It was 2-1 for Man United as well at West Ham. Uh, taking Man United's unbeaten away run to 29 games now. And Chelsea did Spurs 3-0. The table, with only one week to go until we're allowed to look at it, uh, has Chelsea joining Liverpool and Man United on 13 points at the top. Brighton rounding out the top four, just one point behind and two points ahead of Man City and Everton. At the other end, Norwich, Burnley and Newcastle are the bottom three. Now, also this weekend, of course, the game said goodbye to Jimmy Greaves, a legend for Spurs and Chelsea in England in later years as well. A, a brilliantly natural and funny presence on television with his show Saint and Greasy. Man, he brought so much entertainment and enjoyment to so many people throughout the game and still the highest scorer in the history of English top-flight football with 357 goals. And appropriate, as many pointed out, that the two most important clubs in Jimmy Greaves' career met this weekend as Spurs hosted Chelsea. And that's where we're going to start. I'll look back at the weekend. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Onzo again to whip it in. Oh, good header, Thiago yeah! Silva! Chelsea ahead! Nodded in by the Brazilian, the perfect connection. Yep, the fine work of, of Matt Davis-Adams there on commentary uh, on Thiago Silva's uh, opening goal in Chelsea's 3-0 win over Spurs. Spurs had held Chelsea for the first 45 minutes, then Tuchel found a silver bullet, if you like. Hey, let's have some love for the, the veteran Brazilian centre-back, Matt. Yeah, he was absolutely incredible. I, I was slightly worried when I saw the team lineup because I think that him and Andreas Christensen are, are quite similar defenders and I wondered if they'd sort of step on each other's toes. But he, he didn't have to do a, a great deal of defending like he did against Aston Villa last weekend when he actually, I think he played even better than he did against Tottenham on, on Sunday. But the fact that he got a goal here uh, kind of made sure that he took the headlines a couple of days before his 37th birthday. But... As good as he was and, and as well taken as his goal was, one of the shortest players on the pitch scoring a header from a corner where where he just kind of wandered in unannounced with Deli Ali kind of looking over his shoulder and going, oh, there he goes. Yeah, that's Thiago Silva about to head it in. Uh, was illustrative of, of Tottenham's failings in the game as much as it was Chelsea's strengths, I think. But uh, yeah, Chelsea exceptional in the second half once they made that change. And there's a lot of talk in the week about Chelsea and cheat codes and how Lukaku is one and... And from Sunday's game, it seemed to be maybe that, that Thomas Tuchel was one too. But the way that he reacts when things aren't going aren't going right for his team is is so ruthless. It, it's 
ruthless is maybe not the right word because it, there's not a coldness to the way that he does it it's, it's just kind of this incredible practicality of this thing isn't functioning quite as it should this is the change that will correct it so let's make it and and that was exactly what he did in bringing Kante on for Mount at half time and, and changed the game yeah I, I absolutely agree to an extent I think it's probably results oriented in that it comes off so therefore Chelsea players think well if he does it again we'll be confident that it will come off again and you know if I was a bit grumpy about being taken off at half time it's not me it's not my manager saying I'm I'm not very good or, or even that I wasn't playing very well it's that the manager sees a route that I can't to to winning this game I couldn't work out for Tottenham whether I'd rather if I was a Tottenham fan well I'd rather they just got destroyed through the whole game and put it down as a bad performance again and we have to move on it sort of felt more dispiriting that they kind of went toe-to-toe with Chelsea in the first half and then Chelsea made one little switch and suddenly completely strangled the life out of them and scored three goals. That, to me, feels more depressing because I think Tottenham played pretty well in the first half but couldn't land any blows. And then as soon as the bigger boy came along and decided to change things, they suddenly looked very ordinary again. It's That's pretty worrying. But yeah, Tuchel is, is phenomenal. And he he's done it more than once this season already. He did it against Aston Villa when he brought off... Saul, he did it against Liverpool. He made two changes to react to the red card. He did it here. He just looks a a proper, proper football manager. Back-to-back 3-0 wins for Chelsea. Now, back-to-back 3-0 defeats, of course, for Spurs, who have a growing question around Harry Kane, would you say, Flo? Duncan Alexander pointing out that Marcus Alonso has had more touches in the opposition penalty area than Harry Kane this season. Only four shots so far this season. Yeah, we know that he can play really well when he plays deep and he's he's done that, but I think he's just too deep at the moment. He's not getting in the right areas. He's he's being forced to create too much for, for his teammates and not getting in positions where he can be the goal scorer. I thought Regulon played really well yesterday in that first half and had a lot of joy um, running down the left-hand side and there were opportunities there where maybe the, the, you know Chelsea defended the opportunities well and, and he couldn't find that final pass, but Kane wasn't there to be able to to get those opportunities that he would he he's so good at normally finding those spaces being in those areas and and being so reliable for Spurs so I think they need to now work out or Nuno needs to work out a way in which he can have the best of both worlds which is going to be difficult but there were so so many opportunities there where if Kane had been in the right areas things could have been completely different and it almost did feel like once Spurs had hadn't been able to score any of those really, really good opportunities. I mean, that that quick free kick, Kane had that chance and there was they had a lot of opportunities in that first half. It almost felt like what once those had been wasted, there was only going to be one winner um, and that tactical change was just absolute genius. On the subject of Kane, his kind of talismanic role at Tottenham was really kind of underlined or heightened by all the transfer a business, but do you think this is an issue that's an actual issue? Is it just going to come right once he gets over his kind of first month of the season kind of lethargy? Is it something that can be sorted out with a tactical change, or is it really the fact that he doesn't want to be there? I mean, if, if Kane's career is taught as one thing, it's that the moment uh, a growing minority of people assume that there's a problem, he normally sorts it out very quickly. And everyone wonders what we were worried about. I guess this season there are multiple factors that haven't been there before. You know, Son has been been injured already. The transfer talk doesn't help. The, his relationship with supporters, if, if not broken, is certainly creaking. And 
Um, that will take time to rebuild. We don't know if he really... We assume he doesn't really want to be there. We assume he's he, he's kind of made his peace with it for a year, but we assume he's not in the same mood as he was three years ago. Uh, and I think all those things make a difference. But I think this is more a tactical thing. I think it's that the midfield just isn't really functioning at the moment. You can't really tell what they're doing other than trying to protect the defence, which hasn't really worked in the last two weeks either. Uh, so as Flo says, Kane's dropping deep, Sun's dropping really deep. I think Sun only had three touches in the box as well yesterday. So I think it's a tactical problem. And, and you know, Nuno said after the game, look, we've got serious problems here that we need to work on, which is absolutely right. But it, it's hard to see how he does that, really, because the team yesterday, I think, was probably Tottenham's best 11. Um, and yet it just... It just when they play an elite side, they just look mm. severely lacking. I think if anything else, and I know this is a very bigger picture thing, it just showed how much for a long time they were overperforming under Pochettino because they look a shadow of that side now. Well, of course, they were taking on European champions uh, this Sunday. And coming up for them, it's another big week. Be interesting to see how they fare when on Wednesday... Nuno takes them back to Molyneux for the uh, the second return to his old club. Spurs taking on Wolves in the third round of the Carabao Cup. We'll be talking more about that competition very shortly. And then next weekend, Arsenal. Arsenal. Who would you have as favourites right now in that one? Flo? Probably still Tottenham, to be honest. Um, I still think Arsenal aren't creating enough opportunities. And I think Tottenham yesterday and, and throughout the season, maybe bar the Crystal Palace game, have shown that they can create good opportunities. They're, they're maybe not just finishing them yet, but I think Arsenal just aren't creating enough. Beating Norwich 1-0, considering how they got absolutely smashed by Watford. I was at that game and, and yeah, Arsenal just just didn't create enough. And I think I think Spurs still probably look like they have enough to, to win that game. Anyone disagree? Yeah, I, I well, I, I mean, disagreeing with a prediction is a fool's errand. But um, <laughs> I think Arsenal, I think if Spurs concede early uh, or even concede in the first half, then one thing they haven't done yet under Nuno is responded to falling behind. Um, yes, OK, they got back into the game against Wren, but Wren are, are, are a far worse side than Arsenal. And I just think if they, yeah, if they concede first, then you might see some of that panic that we saw in the Crystal Palace game. Um, I agree Arsenal have problems you know neither of these two teams are at at full pelt but yeah I think it's a typical fence sitting for me but the team that scores first I think could cause real panic in in the other side well we'll talk more about the North London derby in the days to come I mean much banter over this being the top flight carbon net zero football match given that it involved goalless spurs but a kind of massive issue here of course the game raising awareness of the threat of climate change through football, organisers say. And this, of course, six weeks ahead of the UN's COP26 climate change conference, arriving, of course, at such a delicate moment. At least football hasn't just decided to increase the Champions League from 125 to 225 matches in two years' time. That'll that'll help as well. Ah, yes. All right, well, next up, Daniel Story has a weekly conundrum and let's see if we can resolve it. 
So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only, max free bet £10 per day, excludes enhanced match odds, min four plus legs, min odds one fifth per leg, online exclusive T's and C's apply, 18 plus, become aware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. It's a very brave thing to do. Mark Noble's first touch, and very likely his only touch of this game, will be to take this penalty. Mark Noble, saved by De Gea. Daniel's weekly conundrum, are Manchester United lucky because they're good or good because they're lucky? You might add, listener, does it matter when they're flying high at the top of the table? Uh, 2-1 winners uh, this Sunday afternoon at the London Stadium. Of course, United continuing that incredible record on the road starting back in February 2020. They've now made it 29 matches unbeaten on the road, taking 67 points in that time, over half of which have come from losing positions, as, of course, was the case on Sunday. We have to start with the finish. Uh, West Ham had taken the lead, Ben Rama on a huge deflection. That was answered by Cristiano Ronaldo. And then late Man United sub Jesse Lingard, hashtag narrative, curling in that fabulous winner against the side where he was reborn on loan last season. And then in the 90-something minute with West Ham trailing 2-1, a Luke Shaw handball sees a penalty given for the home side. Matt, were you taken aback by what happened next? I don't think I was taken aback by it because there are certain teams where you... There aren't many teams where you think, I know who this side's penalty taker is, 100%. And for West Ham, it is Mark Noble. So I I, I could see the logic in it, definitely. Um, It's still a difficult one to talk about, to be honest, because it just reminds me of the deep scars of the final of Euro 2020. But um, at least those players ran around for a couple of minutes first. You You didn't even see Mark Noble do any stretching. He still had his bib on. He was literally, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go and... This will be the first kick of a football that I've had in probably two hours. Um, did seem slightly ridiculous, but but there again, if he scores, then it's not an issue. But yeah, I'm not sure what Declan Rice made of it or anybody else who would have been on the on the penalty had Noble not been on the pitch. I certainly wouldn't have made that decision if I was David Moyes. But as I say, if he scores, it's great. But it wasn't even a very good penalty, was it? It's, it's mm. the problem. If it, if it's a brilliant save, you can say, well, he's just unlucky, but. Yeah, it's a strange it's a strange thing to do. I'm I'm sure there are stats saying well when this happens normally the player scores, but it it just felt like how can you go into a situation like that it, particularly in those specific circumstances. It wasn't the 38th minute or the 73rd minute even. It was going to be the very last kick of the ball in that match and to place that much pressure on it seemed an extraordinary thing to do. And, and yeah, if I was Declan Rice, I would be pretty cross about not getting the chance to take it myself, having played the entirety of the game. Well, as you mentioned, the precedence uh, not too long ago, Sancho and Rashford coming on 
in the Euro 2020 final. Of course, it didn't work out for them either. Beyond that, though, do you think it was a fair result, the 2-1? I mean, this is what I mean about the conundrum. In that I, I, I turn off the television after a Manchester United game and I, kind of maybe, I feel like I kind of need a sort of emotional debrief where I try and work out what happened and who made things happen and to an extent that's the the same as lots of United games have been in that they started really fast they then suffered this bizarre drop in intensity that allowed the opposition to take the lead they then decided okay we're losing 1-0 and we know this situation so let's get back into the match which they did and then suffered another slump in the second half and then find something to produce a winner the the penalty incident was was unusual but and they should have had one of their own I think I just can't work it out. I can't work it out. If, if, if When I say I can't work out what's going to happen, it's what's going to happen next. It's whether from this position do they stop winning games or do they start winning them more handsomely. And, and each week I'm the fool because the answer seems to be exactly the same will happen again. Why does anything need to change? Why are they bothered if they go 1-0 down, if they immediately go and score equalisers and then end up winning the game? Maybe they aren't bothered. But it just seems it seems incredibly bizarre for a team to have this such a strong record and yet to have been behind so often. I, I, I honestly can't work it out. Out of, out of interest, which one of the Ronaldo tumbles did you feel merited a spot kick? Uh, I think the first one was a penalty. It's not a great look for me saying I don't know repeatedly when talk- <laughs> answering questions, but in an age of VAR, I, I don't, I don't right. know the thought process. I don't know whether the referee has thought, I'll leave that I'm, because I'm not sure and I'll have a look, and then VAR has thought, well, it's not enough to overturn it. Or if the referees thought it def- they definitely aren't penalties and VAR thought, well, we're not going to overturn you. So I, I don't know the thought hmm. process there, but... I- I can't help thinking that in other situations those penalties would have been given, which kind of, to me, undermines the point of VAR in that it was meant to bring this kind of semi-consistency across the game. Right. Well, four goals anyway in three games for Cristiano Ronaldo, a record that stands up very nicely, unlike, of course, him for most of Sunday afternoon. We should also give a shout-out to Jesse Lingard, who I think we all thought was going to see very little action for Man United what with the summer's arrivals, but that's what two weeks in a row that he's killed in absolute peaches. I think last time I was on the pod, I was talking about how enjoyable it is to watch Jesse Lingard play because he just plays with such a smile on the face and he's enjoying every single moment he gets to step on the pitch. And I hope that him showing his ability like this, him showing his ability during that loan spell with West Ham will get him some more opportunities because I think it's also really important for England as well that that if he's going to be a player that, that they can actually rely on consistently, obviously they've got lots of options, but he, he's becoming a bit of a game changer. Um, there's a movie out at the moment called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and I I like to call yesterday's game Noble and the Legend of J-Lings. Um, that's a freebie nice. for producer Charlie there. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's just I think it's just brilliant to see how he's willing to take on a lot more responsibility than perhaps he has in the past. And there's a freedom to it. And I just think when you see a player who has kind of no pressure and can just take off those shackles, I think it's brilliant. Um, and I actually think with the penalty itself. I'm not going to tell Mark Noble how to take penalties, but I do think, like like Matt touched on, um, the way he so obviously opens up his body, I mean, it's so obvious that which way he's going. And I think even 
though De Gea did well to get there, it was so, so obvious. So um, I think, yeah, a missed opportunity for West Ham. But Jayling strikes again. Just on the on the penalties, and there was a lot of weird refereeing in this game. West Ham should have had one in the first half, Wan-Bissaka on Suchek. Noble wouldn't have been brought on to take that one. So if they'd got that and it had been scored, then this wouldn't be an issue in the first place. But yeah, very strange refereeing in this game. United could have had three penalties, and I think that West Ham one was, was nailed on. Mm, be interesting to get your thoughts on the Brighton-Leicester game uh, shortly, which have played uh, simultaneously, of course. Hmm. David Moyes yet to beat his former club since leaving Old Trafford in 2014. He'll get another try on Wednesday in the Carabao Cup. So are Man United lucky because they're good or good because they're lucky? Flo, Matt, any... I'm always going to say Manchester United are lucky, so I'll I'll just swerve that one. Lucky, definitely. Right. Matt? I think think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's lucky. I think if Thomas Tuchel was in charge of Manchester United, they would be favourites to to win the Premier League. Any team that's got a spine of De Gea in form... Varane, Pogba, Ronaldo, um, they should be winning games more convincingly than than they have been of late. With all of that, they are flying three points ahead of Neighbours Man City and level on 13 points with Chelsea, who we heard about before, and Liverpool, who beat Crystal Palace 3-0 on Saturday. I don't want to call this routine, but it is the ninth straight meeting with Palace that Liverpool have won. And Sadio Mane has scored in all nine of them. He's the first player in Premier League history to score in nine successive matches against the same opponent. Liverpool... Stats fans continue to average 25 shots per game, which feels like a lot. How many shots, for example, did Manchester City have in their game this weekend against Saints? I'm going to guess 14. Well, it was one on target. One on target. That's a great way to entice the fans to splash out on tickets. (laughs) That one shot on target, by the way, didn't come until the 90th minute. From Phil Foden, what happened? Because most people, I think, not me, of course, but many people were predicting a kind of another five-nil win for City here. Yeah, I mean, they just—they sixteen shots, by the way, sixteen shots, one on target. Sixteen, they, okay. they, right? Yeah, they just—I mean, they just—they looked really lethargic. They—they they looked. I think Pep, maybe Pep made too many changes. Maybe he should have, you know, kept up the the Ferran Torres false nine thing. Um, he played Raheem Sterling as a centre forward, which. Has worked in the past, but doesn't really seem to be working this season. And Sterling looks or, or seems to be a player who, who's pretty low on confidence at the moment. And yeah, they, I mean, they were fortunate not to lose the game. The, the penalty incident was kind of bizarre. I, I, can, I can see how it wasn't given as a penalty. But I, I, my personal view is that if VAR has this supposed high bar, you know, it was a, a big call to overturn the decision. So this was Kyle Walker going in on Adam Armstrong. Yeah, it was kind of messy and clumsy, and um, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure it was a penalty. But having given it and given the red card, I, I was surprised it was overturned. But yeah, mm. City just looked really, really sluggish. And to go back to my point at the top of the show, I think these games matter because so far, the the what we suppose is the the top four title challengers: Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Liverpool have played sixteen games against. Um, non-big six teams this season and, and they've only dropped four points that's Southampton's two draws against United and City every other team has been beaten with relative comfort and I think that might be the story of the season I think that almost those points you drop at home to lesser teams almost kind of count double in that I think every other team you know every I think Liverpool are going to blow teams away at Anfield with a chance creation I think Chelsea will find a way with Tuchel so yeah I think it's a real 
proverbial bad moment because Guardiola likes to talk of these winning runs, getting these streaks together. And City were on one. You know, they were scoring goals and goals and goals. And this just kind of pricks that bubble a little bit, I think. Pep saying they had seven days to prepare. We had 10 minutes yesterday, which, to be fair, is a bit rich, you know, with the organisation he's got. And they knew about this fixture. It's not like they didn't know it was coming. Saints, four Premier League draws in a row but still yet to win in the Premier League this season. Midweek, they'll be away at Sheffield United in the Carabao Cup, while uh, it'll be Duncan's Wickham Wanderers for Manchester City. Let's have a quick word on the Carabao Cup. Now, third round, which features such delights as... Ooh, Norwich welcoming Liverpool, which sounds like fun. Leicester hosting Millwall, a bit less so. Uh, Leeds up against Fulham. Watford taking on Stoke City. Uh, Burnley hosting Rochdale, Brighton, Swansea City. Brentford semi-finalists last year, getting a visit from League Two's bottom side, Oldham Athletic. We'll talk more about that in a second or two. But Flo, your side, QPR, hosting Everton. That's an interesting game, isn't it? QPR very much a team on the rise these days, although, you know, the last two results haven't gone their way. Yeah, on a rise and then slightly on, on a bit of a come down at the moment. But it's been a good start to the season. Saturday was one of those what might have been occasions loads of opportunities that were that weren't taken and then Bristol City scoring two goals on the counter-attack um Bournemouth are a very good side so I think last week I think Bournemouth you know are one of the favorites to go up and they played really well so I think they're they're a team that QPR should really lose to but I think Tuesday is going to be interesting I think it's just going to really rely on both managers and the sort of teams they put out because QPR have got West Brom on Friday night, another team who are really good and will probably beat QPR. So I, it's going to be interesting what Warburton does because they haven't got the biggest squad in the world. Everton obviously got pretty big squad, so it's going to be interesting to see what both managers do. Everton also coming in from a defeat, though. They were beaten 3-0 by Aston Villa on Saturday. Villa, who themselves have been beaten 3-0 uh, by Chelsea last week, but the right side of that scoreline this time around. Was was Leon Bailey in his brief cameo, was he the difference here? I think the difference might have been the fact that Everton were missing their best players in, in Pickford and Richarlison and uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, no Seamus Coleman either. I think that was probably a more significant factor. But yeah, it was a great cameo from Bailey, wasn't it? 21 minutes, um, scored the second best goal of the game as well after, after Matty Cash. Uh, which was lovely to see. But Villa was so good at, at Chelsea last weekend that uh, I wasn't surprised by by this performance particularly. And I think Everton can kind of write it off. First first game that Rafael Benitez has ever lost at Villa Park. But yeah, with those caveats of of the injuries, um, I think that, yeah, this was just a one to forget for them rather than a, a symptom of a, a wider problem. All right, Everton unable to even name a full bench. So great was their list of absentees. Yeah, they, they were unable to name a full bench, but they also left James Rodriguez out of this matchday squad again. Uh, now, I know Benitez has, has clashed with him before, but I just wondered, I mean, Benitez is going to come in for stick when, whenever anything goes wrong at Everton because of, of who he is with a certain section of supporters, and I understand that. Um, but there was an argument for compromising, I think, at the weekend, because if you didn't have Calvert-Lewin and you didn't have Richarlison, what it looked like is that Everton missed some attacking impetus and you know maybe even a half fit Hamas Rodriguez would have would have given more than an empty spot on the bench Matty Cash who apparently could be set for a Poland call up because his mum's half Polish of course a former Forest fullback Matt 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, generating the cash that, that Forrest needed to kind of hit FFP regulations. Arrived as a, as a young boy with a hole in his shoe, as we heard on the now sadly defunct Two Stars podcast last season and left having got that cash money from Aston Villa and a big Premier League contract. So, yeah, I think in any other era, he'd be thinking I can get into the England squad, never mind the Poland one, but he just unfortunately finds himself playing it right back in 2021. Mm. Well, loads of other interesting games coming up midweek in the League Cup. Didn't mention Cheltenham taking on Preston North End. They're in the third round for the first time, Cheltenham Town. Wigan Athletic are up against Sunderland. But how about that clash at the Brentford Community Stadium? Brentford semi-finalists in this competition last year, receiving a visit from League Two's bottom side, Oldham Athletic, a club who've been in the news a lot of late. Daniel, can you just pre-see the enormous mess that has enveloped them? Yes, uh, they were taken over uh, three years ago by a, a former agent turned football club owner and pretty much since day one, the problems have started. I think some Oldham fans created a timeline. I think it's 13 times the players have been paid late, for example. But it goes beyond just money issues. There's just a, a complete breakdown of relationship between supporters and owner. This season, things have got worse in that the owner has... has for example, refused to sell match tickets to non-season ticket holders for fear of backlash. They've had pitch invasions to protest his ownership. So that's why he's not selling the tickets, so fans can't come in and then invade the, the pitch? That is the, yeah, that's the, the interpretation by supporters that that's what he's doing, yeah. Um, and yeah, as you say, they are bottom of, of the Football League and uh, looking like they could be the first former Premier League club to, to drop down into non-league, which is... A crying shame because we say this about lots of clubs, but it is a proper family club. You know, it's a club that just wants to be able to go and watch. They don't even need to see the team playing well. They've been mediocre for for decades. They just want to be proud of their football club. And yeah, at the moment, they're a million miles away from that. A few more Oldham stats for you. They've only been promoted once since 1974. And they haven't even finished in the top half of a division since 2009. And yet they've had two Champions League winners as their managers within the last, what, two years? Very odd. Very strange club. Amazing. Paul Scholes and uh, Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl, Mm. yes. Right. Great quizzing, James. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. Now, OBs, by contrast, they have had promotions. A fine win for them. Their first away win in the Premier League, because it's their first season in the Premier League. A 2-0 at Wolves. This, this felt like a pretty significant game back in the Premier League. Uh, goal and an assist for Ivan Tony, who can't stop scoring. Um, Wolves can't start, of course. Yeah, I mean, this one just felt like the Ivan Tony show, to be honest. I think most of my Twitter feed was just full of praise for him. I think anyone who watched him in the Championship last season knows he's a phenomenal player and he was just so, so, so good. I could not be, could not be contained at all. And I think it's great to see him up and running fairly early and he could have a really big season. And, you know, I know people are already potentially talking about England call-ups as well. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting to see a player step up and just, you know, climb, climb the leagues and, and, and reach those heights. With, with Brentford, I think it's interesting in that they've come up with this this reputation of being a very kind of um, modern, expansive, easy to watch team. But but they've they've got some street smarts about them as well, and you saw that in this game with the the time wasting, which was pretty much constant from when they went down to ten men. And I quite like Spiky Thomas Frank too. I think he adds a lot to the Premier League. He 
responded to Bruno Lage's criticism of said time-wasting by saying, what would he have done if he was leading a newly promoted team? A bus stop in Hounslow with a budget 10 times less when you're leading 2-0 with 10 against 11, um, which I enjoyed a lot. He also said he was crazy proud of his players, which, yeah, lot to like there. And always good wine recommendations as well from Thomas Frank. He, he loves his <laughs> wine. He should do a little newsletter, I think. A lot of people would subscribe. Where, where was his wine recommendation, Flo? And what was it? Um, he, he's always talking about a glass of red. Always. is always celebrating with a glass of red. We'll have a glass of red. So on Saturday, it was no different. It was, you know, we, we haven't got long to rest, but we'll have a few. We'll, we'll have a glass of red. We'll relax. Um, so I'd be, I'd be intrigued to know what he's drinking because I've recently mm. got into red wine. So I could do with All some right. advice because I have no idea what to drink. But he seems to be a man who looks like he knows what he's doing. A listener get in touch. It might have been Vimto, of course. He's been pretty non-specific <laughs> about his beverage of choice. Uh, anyway, yeah, fantastic stuff from uh, Brentford. Uh, very shortly, we'll get on to some more of what happened in the Premier League. And also, uh, let's find out about the Lionesses and their first competitive game in years. That's next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is handy for when Spurs stop pretending to be this ruthless winning machine and revert back to type. Ready for the fast bit? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18's only. And please gamble responsibly. And England looking for number eight here. It's me! And Beth Mead, who deserves a goal, gets one. Right, more on the moneyed Shangri-La of the Premier League in a second. But Flo, England on Friday, having their first competitive international for more than two years. More than two years, crikey. The first, of course, under new manager Serena Weigman. Uh, 8-0 against North Macedonia. Woof. Yeah, I mean... you. Got to really start by putting it in context of the absolute gap in women's football, especially in Europe. Um, I think it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty concerning. I think when you look at the score lines for a lot of the home nations uh, for their first round of World Cup qualifying, I think Wales maybe won six nil, Northern Ireland I think won four nil, um, and I think yeah, there, there's a huge gap in resources and investment, so you kind of have to proceed it all with that. Um, England probably could have won about twenty nil. They had forty six shots, um, and I think it, it. But all in all, it was a good 
refreshing start to life under a new manager. I think England have become quite stale over the last few years um, and were desperate for a bit of a refresh. There was a bit of a mix-up with obviously Neville leaving to go to Inter Miami and it took so long for the FA to find a replacement. Then they did find a replacement, but she didn't want to start until after the Olympics, which was completely fair because she wanted to see out uh, her work with Netherlands and try and win a medal. So we they had an interim manager and it was just very sort of stop-start with a home Euros on the horizon next summer in which there's massive pressure to win that tournament. So I think it's refreshing to see a bit of energy, a bit of life thrown into that England side. The new manager is al- has already sort of shaken things up by bringing in some new players, recalling some players who haven't featured for years, putting a goalkeeper in goal who... Um, lost her way under Neville and, and hasn't played since 2019. So I just think it's it's there's a bit of a kind of kick up the backside energy to it. And I think that's great because I think England were desperate for that. But you can't really judge the quality of the side at all in this qualifying group because they're not really going to be tested really much or if at all. So I don't think we're mm. really going to know how good they are until probably about February when they'll play Germany and Spain as part of a new tournament that the FA have created ahead of the Euros, kind of new sort of friendly tournament. So we're not going to know how good they can be, but I just think it's refreshing to see a kind of new energy to it. All right. You can see some more of that new energy Tuesday night when the Lionesses make the trip to Luxembourg. Hmm. Back to the Premier League. Brighton are now fourth. After a 2-1 win over Leicester, probably would have featured this sooner if it weren't for the feeling that their newfound Champions League prospects owed a lot to the VAR decisions on Sunday. Would that be fair? Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, (laughs) Brighton are doing a lot of things better than they were last season. I think they're more defensively resilient. I think they're taking their chances better. But you can't overlook the the luck factor. Um, You know, I was speaking to, to... David Hartrick on Sunday, who's a, a Brighton fan, because I didn't see the game and I wanted to obviously write a piece for the score. And he was saying, amongst Brighton fans, that's the overriding feeling, is that we're just getting breaks this season where we weren't last season. We're not doing an awful lot differently, but we're winning games by one goal where we'd be drawing or losing them last season. And and this was a perfect example, because I think they did get lucky with VAR. I think, I think the penalty they get, I think Mopay is fouling Vestergaard as much, if not more, than the other way around. Um, that's how they the open the scoring. Yes, that's how they open the scoring. Danny Welbeck, to be fair, takes a brilliant chance, which is what they weren't doing last season. They wouldn't have scored that chance last season. And then Leicester have two goals disallowed. I, su- I think both probably rightly, but again, it's just that Brighton don't f- feel that those incidents last season would have just gone against them and they'd have ended up si- losing a two-goal lead and either drawing or losing the game. And, and now they're not, which is is really nice if you're a Brighton fan. Yeah, four wins out of five now for the Seagulls in the Premier League. Uh, the Foxes... I've had three defeats in the same number of matches. Leicester have had a lower XG than their opponents in all five of their Premier League games. I can't quite work out why Brendan Rodgers isn't playing with a front two. He, he changed it in February last season, playing Ian Accio up with Vardy. And as we all know, Ian Accio suddenly caught fire and Vardy enjoyed it as well because he had less pressure on him. And for some reason, he's gone back to just Vardy either on his own or in a front three with... Barnes and Madison wide rather than picking Iheanacho, which more than anything means I can't quite work out why they signed Pats and Dakar if they're only going to play with one striker and they already had Iheanacho and Vardy. I don't quite understand why he's changed the shape again and it's it's not really working at the moment. 
Well, it's a long season ahead, of course. You've got Europa League as well. Daka looked good in on Thursday night, I thought. Although, you know, the result didn't go their way against Napoli. Something as well that I've noticed just from kind of looking on social media among the, the, the group of Leicester fans that I follow is a bit of, of a frustration with with the, the favourites that are getting picked time and time again by Rodgers. And obviously they're reliable, they're consistent and they've they've done a lot for his side. But I think it seems like a lot of fans would like to see Inacho uh, be rewarded for his performances, not only for Leicester, but he's also been really good for Nigeria recently. And I feel like they're, they're, a lot of fans are crying out for him to, to give, be given an opportunity to start. Um, and and I think there's a bit of maybe a staleness coming into Rogers when as soon as you know when when players are guaranteed to be starting and there's no competition for places, I think then you start to have a few issues. Leicester away at Millwall. Maybe some of those other players will get a run out there in the Carabao Cup midweek. Flo, you were talking about Arsenal's one nil win, their second such straight scoreline. Uh, as being one of the more significant moments of the weekend. This, of course, came at Turf Moor. Uh, Burnley have had 13 home league games now without a win. It's the longest run in their history. Uh, but yes, tell us more about Arsenal's newfound grittiness type thing. Yeah, I think it helps that, that Gabriel and White are now playing together. I think that was going to be really important as soon as they could do that. I think they started together for the first time against Norwich. I think there's a bit of a worry maybe about how Nicolas Pepe is consistently turning it on and creating lots and being creative but is really struggling to score when they need him to Um, but I think what was crucial about Saturday was just being a bit ugly getting some defensive organisation where they've lacked in the past being strong being brave being aggressive um, because that's not something you've really put with Arsenal over the last couple of years over the last couple of seasons you haven't really used those words to describe them so I think it's good to see that I think Ramsdale as much as I wasn't sure how important or necessary it was to get him in I think there's a leadership factor there which he's instantly brought to that back line Um, I don't know if it was massively important for them to chuck or was it 25 million on him when Leno's an okay goalkeeper? But I do think he's really transformed them because he's, he seems far more vocal than Leno uh, is. And yeah, I think he, he's he's brave as well. And uh, he had a really good game on Saturday. And I think he's probably put some confidence into, into the defenders who perhaps maybe didn't have that before with Leno. Definitely worth flagging up Arsenal's midweek League Cup tie home to AFC Wimbledon. Wimbledon lost it against Plymouth at the weekend, but they have been brilliant in League One this season and they're, you're almost guaranteed goals when they play. Before Saturday, their, their previous three results, 1-4-3, 1-5-3, 1-3-1. One. So that one um, should be a lot of fun. Brilliant. Aaron Ramsdale, by the way, yet to concede a goal in his three appearances for the Gunners. Yeah, and and you know Burnley did what Burnley were always going to do. They, they put in 35 crosses from open play against a you know, two centre-backs and a goalkeeper that have hardly played together. And as Flo says, in the past, you would expect Arsenal to crumble under that. There would be a, you know, there'd be a controversial penalty or there'd be a silly own goal or there'd be a defensive mistake. 
Uh, and there just wasn't. Ramsdale, I I didn't think he was a good signing. I'm not even sure, or I wasn't sure if he was a, a, a good enough goalkeeper. But what he can do is he comes for crosses and wins them, which Leno wasn't brilliant at. And his, his passing distribution is better as well. His long-range passing is better than Leno. So I don't think he's as good a shot stopper. But when you playing a game like Burnley, and Arteta kind of referred to this after the game. He said, I picked a team for this game. I picked a goalkeeper for this game. And I think he saw that. I think he saw that Burnley were going to put in loads of balls into the box and he needed a goalkeeper that was prepared to come and claim them. And to his credit, Ramsdale did that. Mm, brilliant. Not to their credit, uh, a dust-up between two sets of fans at the final whistle with some missiles lobbed uh, from one side to t'other. I always like the word missiles in that context because mm. it does... It does speak of something range, slightly more serious. <laughs> yeah, it well, really it is. <laughs> anything from a paper cup to, you know, ICBMs, they're all... Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I was at Na- Leicester Napoli and there was, again, a dust-up between fans, probably a more serious ah. one after the game. And, yeah, the missiles there were paper clappers. It speaks of war missiles to me rather than um, surface-to-air rather than seat-to-seat, right. seat, I think. Right. Oh, Matt. Way back in the midst of time when we started this podcast, you were talking about how important Watford's 3-1 win at Norwich was. Watford had been on that terrible run since the kind of opening 70 minutes of the season. Tell us about this, though. Yeah, definitely important for, for Zisco Munoz because, you know, this is Watford. So uh, you kind of assumed that he needed to get a win in the next couple of games. Uh, I just thought they they played pretty well here, but but Norwich... I, I don't know why Daniel Farker doesn't come in for more criticism. I know he's got them promoted twice, but he doesn't look much more than a German Neil Warnock to me because he gets to the Premier League and it just seems totally beyond his capabilities. You know, this time they, they've given him a few signings, slightly odd signings in in some cases, but I just don't see any kind of progression from them from the last time that they were in the Premier League, and and yet he seems to. To never be under any severe pressure. You mentioned the fact that they lost 10 games in a row on their way out. He's won five out of 43 Premier League matches. That, that's not a good record. Did you get that out of a uh, random Totally Football Show title generator, by the way? <laughs> I was just going to say, it feels, like Matt, it feels like Matt's setting himself up for his managerial impressions by picking a country and a manager and then <laughs> challenging himself. <laughs> All I can think about now is is Neil Warnock with Daniel Farker's hair, and I can't get that image out. <laughs> and Norwich are just so bad at defending. Honestly, it's just, it's so so bad. It's so so bad. And I, I guess in the Championship they dominate a lot of games, so you don't see those defensive frailties as much. I mean, Matt will probably be able to kind of talk about that a little bit more as well. But I just find like I just find. Some of the some of the goals that they concede, and you look at that defender, you're like, "How are you? How are you doing that? Uh, how are you doing that?" It's just baffling sometimes. On Watford, what they, what they do have is what seems again to be a bit of a theme of those bottom half teams who may well get themselves out of trouble, which is a they've got an attacking magician in Ismail Assar. You know, Wolves have Adama Traore, Newcastle have Alan San Maximan. I think those teams that will get themselves out of any serious trouble are the ones that can rely on someone that can just produce the unexpected and take on a man and beat him and create chances and you know I kind of thought they might sell Ismail Assar in the summer in a kind of Emi Buendia style scenario where they can you know thank him for staying during a championship season and then he gets a big move but 
they've done really well to hold on to him because between him and Emmanuel Dennis, they look to have got a real partnership and one that in no time at all looks to have a great understanding. You know, they, Dennis has only been there a couple of months. So, yeah, that makes you feel optimistic about Watford. Five of Watford's six Premier League goals this season have been scored by either Dennis or Saar. Alan Sam Maximum, by the way, who you just name-checked, was on the score sheet in Friday night's game, Newcastle against Leeds, which finished, of course, 1-1. 38 shots in this game. Shot count, fans. But it, to finish with both teams still waiting for their first victory and much grumbling from the home supporters. Leeds, by the way, it's the first time they failed to win any of their opening five league games since 1985. Crikey. Entertaining, though. Yeah, really entertaining. Uh, without getting too nerdy, uh, there's a stat which is called progressive carries, which is basically measures how many time a, times a player carries the ball five yards or more towards the opposition hmm. goal. And Alan San Maximam on Friday night did it 14 times. No Newcastle player did it, other Newcastle player did it more than three, which kind of sums up just... It, it, at times it looks comedy. It's just give the ball to San Maximam and let it do it, which ordinarily would seem like a cheap shot and a criticism. But when he's that good, there's no problem hmm. with it. That's exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, I also think that... The game is so frantic that when I was watching the highlights, I didn't even realise that it was just the first half when they, you know, when they swapped sides and did the graphic. I was like, oh, I thought that was the entire game. That was only the chances and opportunities that came in the first half. It was, I mean, given everything that's happened this week with Newcastle and leaks and and talks of of the dressing room, you know, scuffles or whatever, I do think there there is definitely signs there that the players are still definitely playing for Steve Bruce. And I think Alan Samaximo is key to that. I think as as soon as he looks like he doesn't care anymore, then they're in trouble. But he was very very kind of open after the game saying that he loves Steve Bruce and, you know, he'll he'll continue to play for him. And I, and I think he's so important to that group. I think there's still a togetherness there, despite everything, despite the difficulties, despite the, the fans who obviously are frustrated with what's happened under Bruce and, and Bruce and the results and where Newcastle are. I think there's still a, there's still a togetherness there and, and the players want to play for him. How much longer that's going to last... I don't know, and they obviously can't keep relying on Alison Maximum to dig them out of trouble. They need Sam Maximum, don't they? Because they seem so archaic in, in lots of other aspects of the way the club is run, and yet they've got one of the chief content creators um, in all of football right there mm. with him. I'm not sure he speaks much to the quality of the league this year, that you've got these two and three others, so a quarter of the division yet to win a game after five matches. That, that doesn't seem to say that we've got a very high quality Certainly Maybe lower five, half of the 15 other teams season. who are, are really good at winning. I'm not sure. If you if you were setting up a football team from scratch show, would Alan Sam Maximum be the first player you'd bring in? Unlimited funds, of course. For branding, 100%. <laughs> if you want a team that's going to go global and you, you, know, you need, want to sell shirts as well as win games, I think I'd definitely bring him in. All right. There are, of course, one or two other candidates in, in that catch group, but... He's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, Emma Raducanu up front, I suppose, if you're talking about brand awareness, <laughs> in my shout. Right. Uh, OK, good. Well, very shortly we'll be talking about uh, one football club that's not been run particularly well, uh, Derby, who this week are facing a potential 21-point penalty. For that, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power with producer Charlie. 
Hello, James. I'm joined here by Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power again. Carl, you like a glass of wine? I like a cup of Carabao. Yes, it's the League Cup third round this week. A competition that Everton have never won. That can't be right. What are the odds on them doing that this season and indeed on the Toffees toppling QPR on Tuesday? Yeah, hard to believe, Charlie. The Toffees have never won the League Cup, but I still remember Paul Rydout's header against United in 95 at Wembley, so at least they have that VHS to play over and over again. Uh, to answer your first question, Everton are 14-1 to 1 to win the Carabao Cup. Uh, life under Rafa Benitez has gone better than expected for the Toffees faithful, Charlie, and the Spaniard will know a nice long cup run will be the perfect tonic to help win over even the most stubborn of Everton fans. Saturday saw their unbeaten record disappear in a puff of smoke at Villa Park, but they'll be looking to get back on track against a QPR side who lie eight in the championship. Everton are odds-on to win the game, Charlie, at 3-4. to four. QPR are 3-1, to one, and the draw is 3-1. to one. But with one clean sheet in their last six, which I must say is most un like this will leave the QPR strikers quietly confident of getting a goal. But Everton will be popular, no doubt, in the Akers on Tuesday night, Charlie, against a Rangers side who have won just once in their last four games. Mm, having said that, most years, if Pep Guardiola decides he wants to win the League Cup, that's the end of it. Uh, they're at home to Duncan Alexander's Wickham on Tuesday as well. How many goals will City score at the Etihad? Well, first off, Charlie, Manchester City, who are chasing five in a row, are the obvious favourites to lift the Carabao Cup at 9-4, to four, and they're 25-1 to one on to beat League One outfit Wickham on Tuesday, so there won't be many takers on that price. Pep's rotation has worked wonders in this competition over the last four years, and you can expect the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden and Ferran Torres all to get minutes on the park. The goals may not have rained on Saturday at the Etihad, but they look set to pour in at Eastlands on Tuesday. Man City minus three on the spread will be very popular, Charlie, and we have that priced at seven to five. That means you need City to win by four clear goals. If you're feeling a bit more daring, though, you'll get a juicy three to one on City minus four. You'll need City to win by five to collect. But with the Pep, the angry match-going fans saga set to rumble on. The big question is, Charlie, will there be any fans at the Emtahad to see the goals go in? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football Show European Edition will be out with you Tuesday morning. A detailing another crazy round of matches across the continent. Messi getting the hump with Pochettino. And PSG's late win over Lyon. Inter, are they even better than last year? putting six past Bologna. And how about Bayern Munich scoring seven in their latest sortie under Julian Nagelsmann? All that and much more in Tuesday's Totally Football show. A Totally Football League show. Matt, you'll be uh, wheeling that one out on Monday, later on on Monday. Uh, of course, that Forest business, new manager there. But what about Rivals Derby going into administration in the past week? Uh, with all that that implies. Give us a little sneak preview. Yeah, on one of these extraordinary stories of a a football club owned by a very rich man who's been successful in business and and yet can't seem to to work out how to to run a football club and and particularly extraordinary when you've got 
Wayne Rooney saying that he found out about this on Sky Sports News and he, uh, according to some reports, paying the costs of Derby's away travel at the moment, which seems completely baffling. But yeah, as you say, you know, it could be a big points deduction for them. I feel like they they might just get the 12-point hit and, and they'll say that that's enough. But uh, I think Wickham have got a, a strong case to feel aggrieved here as well because these, mm. these sanctions that are coming in now, you'll remember that the EFL actually published two separate fixture lists, one with Wickham in it, one with Derby in it. So this is not a new story. The, the things that Derby are being investigated for go back to 2016. So for... The timing of this seems very, very strange to me, but obviously it's the it's the team and the supporters who pay the price for this. Derby managed to get a win on Saturday, which was seen as a kind of a, a great act of defiance, um, but, but Mel Morris was nowhere to be seen at that game. And, and the fact of the matter is, if they get the 12 points deduction or more than that, they'll they'll surely go into League One anyway. So winning against Stoke on Saturday won't mean much in the, in the grand scheme of things, but it's a horrible situation that they find themselves in. They're currently 12th in the championship on 10 points. So yeah, that would be minus two with the the 12, which is automatic deduction for going into administration. There's pending another nine potentially for financial irregularities, which had been talked of, as you mentioned, last season. I remember Duncan saying that even though they were set for relegation, Wickham Wanderers from the uh, championship penalty for Derby might might get them out of of trouble. Mm. Derby, what, two, three seasons ago, they were challenging for promotion to the Premier League. How did we get from that to this? Well, they they basically overspent on trying to get back into the Premier League, which we should say is not a, a problem, which is exclusive to them in the Championship by any means. And because they'd overspent and they were worried about missing FFP, they you know they did this this ground sale to effectively raise between sixty or eighty million pounds, depending on what you read. Um, and yeah, that kind of as ever in the championship, all you are ever doing in your accounts is trying to kick the problem further down the road. And the the reality is, is that COVID-19, which has played a part here, although isn't the cause, it's just a, an exacerbation of the issues, that basically avoided the ability to kick it any further down the road. Um, so all, all those problems are now being tackled at once. It's not just the 21 points. There could be another three as well, because as part of their nine... There's a is three points suspended if they fail to pay players on time again, which, given that they're in administration, it seems very hard to do this or next month. So, yeah, it's a real mess. Wow, how big a proportion do you think of the of the championship are within worrying range of of, of similar problems? Well, well there's a stat uh, which I it wasn't the latest accounts; it was the accounts before last where Reading were the worst offenders in that for every £100 they were making in revenue, they were spending 211 on wages alone. And the average in the championship is is 108. So it's 108% wage turnover ratio in the championship. So, yeah, that isn't sustainable. Uh, the EFL are, are very vehement that football needs a complete new financial plan that creates more drip down because... <sighs> You know, it's it's the it's it's kind of it's driven by the sport in that you, clubs want to get in the Premier League. That's where the money is, so they spend money to get there. Because why wouldn't you? And yet, yeah, if you then don't, it, it's completely unsustainable. So it's yeah, it's really, really, it's worrying, and it has been for some time. Mm. Shout out, I suppose, to the likes of QPR Flow, who have had incredible success in terms of bringing those those outlandish kind of that outlandish balance of revenue to to wages down. 
Yeah, and and I know um, Nathan Jones, Luton Town manager, loves to always refer to how little they spend and and the budgets of their side compared to the rest of the championship. And there are a lot of clubs who are being smart with it. I think there is a bit of a a curse of the of the stadium sale I think as soon as a club is doing that you have to be a little bit concerned I mean Sheffield Wednesday did that and now find themselves in League One I think Birmingham City did it and they seem to have managed to cling on now and, and could potentially push on under Lee Bowie I think there it, it is a bit of a curse when you do that and I think as a fan you've got to be a little bit worried when you see your owners do that indeed all right well more of that kind of thing on the Toby Football League show with Matt, which uh, will be up very soon. Uh, that, though, concludes today's Totally Football show. Uh, many, many thanks, guys. Flo, Matt and Daniel and producer Charlie. Listen, thank you for being with us. We return, as I mentioned, with the Euro crew on Tuesday and then again on Thursday reviewing, yes, the Carabao Cup third round and then all the delights of the weekend in prospect. Brilliant. Have a great time. In the meanwhile, from all of us here... It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.